Jesus paid it all. That's kind of what this whole week is all about. And today, you, you probably heard Neil mention, is often called Palm Sunday. This is the day that Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and was celebrated as a king. Just a few days before he would be rejected and die. Which was just a few days before he rose again. And so we call this whole week Holy Week. When we celebrate Good Friday, we celebrate Easter, we celebrate Palm Sunday. And what they didn't realize was that Palm Sunday, what what we call Palm Sunday, was actually Lamb Selection Day. That was the day when families would select the animal that they were going to sacrifice at Passover. Passover being this yearly reminder of the forgiveness that they needed from God, of the redemption that they needed from God, of how God was the only one who could bring them out of slavery. And that is what Jesus came to fulfill. So thousands of years of history were all leading up to this moment. And we've already seen the Passover sacrifice in the book of Numbers. But today, in Numbers 19, we're looking at a completely different sacrifice. In fact, the sacrifice that we're looking at today is completely different from every other sacrifice in the Old Testament. It is unusual, it is mysterious, it is strange, and it doesn't get quite the same airplay as Passover does. And yet, I think we're going to find some really interesting things in here. Because just as Jesus, as Neil shared, as we just sang, was coming to deal with our death problem, to deal with our impurity, to deal with our sin... The sacrifice that God's going to show us today is to deal with impurity. It's to deal with death. It's to deal with sin. So if you have your Bible, let's check out Numbers chapter 19 together. Look at verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer without blemish, in which there is no defect and on which a yoke has never come. You shall give it to Eleazar the priest, that's Aaron's son, that he may take it outside the camp, and it shall be slaughtered before him. And Eleazar the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. All right, so pause there. Let's try to wrap our heads around this for just a minute. Because already we've seen two of the things that make this unlike any other sacrifice. First is that it calls for a red heifer. That's the only time that this specific animal is described for a sacrifice, a red heifer. Now, in case you think heifer just means cow, who would think that? I don't know, but it's actually a young female cow between two and three years old who has never given birth. So it's a very specific animal that they're looking for here. Not only that, but another thing that makes this unique is that it happens outside the camp. The rest of the sacrifices are done at the tabernacle, but this red heifer is done outside the camp. And in fact, that phrase, red heifer, the Hebrew there is para aduma. Para meaning heifer. Aduma actually comes from the same word as Adam. Adam meaning man, from the dust of the earth. And so para aduma, that word aduma is to indicate the dusty brown-red color of the earth, like terracotta. So this is a para-aduma. 
Isn't it cute? Beautiful, right? Now, now here's what's really interesting about this, okay? <laughs> At least to me. I did research on this, which I know you were hoping I would, right? So the Israelite people were looking for a red heifer all through the Old Testament. But actually, Jewish people, including in Israel today, are still looking for the next red heifer. And I went looking for, like, what, is it, what does it mean for it to not do any work, for it to be pure, you know, no blemishes. So, like, those two phrases, no blemish, no yoke. I found the rabbi who explained to everybody what this meant has 14 chapters explaining what those two phrases mean. I did not read all of them. I'm sorry. <laughs> but part of it was, for example, for this to count as a red heifer, to, to do this sacrifice, they can have no more than two hairs on the entire animal that are not the red color. And they can't be next to each other. So if you find three, that animal's disqualified. If you find two, but they're next to each other, that animal's disqualified. That's not really a red heifer. It's got two white hairs. However, if they're on opposite ends, like one's on the head and one's on the haunches, then we're still okay here. That, that, that can count. One of the other things, uh, one of them actually was disqualified because a bird landed on it. Now it has borne a burden. That's work. It's disqualified. Right? So, so it may not surprise you to hear, they actually think that Moses found the first one, Ezra found the second one, and that there were maybe like seven between the time of Ezra and Jesus for a total of nine through what we would think of as Old Testament history. And now since the time of Jesus... They have gone over 2,000 years without being able to find another red heifer. And so what's kind of, uh, maybe it's funny, maybe it's not about this. Like they actually, they thought they had one in 2018, but then it ended up disqualified. I think it like had a baby or something. Well, that, that doesn't work. Then they had a couple more so to the point that they're actually breeding for these now. They got some cows from Texas that were like really close. And if we could use those and breed them like this, maybe we can get ourselves another red heifer, which is like... Who cares? Why does this matter? Why is this such a big deal? Because then you hear people start talking about red heifers and end times, and if they get the red heifer back, then they can do the temple. And like, that's not actually in Numbers 19. <laughs> so I want to take us to Numbers 19 because I want you to see why this matters. Because what's amazing to me about this is that still today, the Temple Institute in Israel right now has this posted to their website. The precept of the red heifer is a chalk. Okay, a, a Jewish word, which automatically indicates that we will never be able to fathom its true meaning and significance. That's on their website right now. You can go, don't do it right now, listen right now, but later, go check out the website. Still, we are permitted and even obligated to comprehend to the best of our abilities. What in the world is going on in Numbers 19 that the Temple Institute in 2022 says we will never understand this? I actually had a friend who was Jewish growing up, and she told me that this was one of the things that led to her Christian faith. Because in a sense, there is something sweet about being able to say, I don't understand it, but God told me to do it, so I'm going to. All right, so hear me, that's good. But what she found was that there were so many places in her faith where she would ask her parents, hey, why do we do this? And for some, they had answers, and for others, they said, I don't know, because we do, it's, it's what we do. And the ritual kind of took over. And so even as I tell you that story, I, I don't want to imply that that is how all Jewish families are or how everyone's experience is. 
But I know for her, it was coming to Christianity to try to find answers to what God was showing us in the Old Testament. So at the risk of sounding like, um, you know, prideful or like know-it-alls, I, I think that we have a chance to unpack some of these mysteries today. Because essentially what happens is the para-aduma leads us to three paradoxes. And so we're going to look at three different paradoxes today that come right out of Numbers chapter 19. So go to verse 5 and, and watch how they start to explain this. All right, so they've chosen the heifer. It's slaughtered outside the camp. It says, Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight. Its hide, its flesh, its blood, and its offal shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast them into the midst of the fire burning the heifer. All right, so this is the other thing that makes this unlike any other sacrifice in the Old Testament. For the rest of them, the blood is drained out. Only with the red heifer, only with the para aduma, is the blood burned with the sacrifice. You see, the reason for that is that then the cedar wood, the hyssop, the scarlet, all the same things that were used to purify lepers, to heal leprosy as a picture of sin. When all of those things are burned with the animal itself, the idea is that now the purifying blood infuses everything. That absorbed into the entire sacrifice is the blood that brings purification. But that is unique to Numbers 19. If you keep going, he says in verse 7, Then the priest shall wash his clothes, he shall bathe in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until evening. So thanks a lot for helping. You help with the red heifer, now you're unclean. <laughs> and the one who burns it shall wash his clothes in water, bathe in water, and he shall be unclean until evening. Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer, store them outside the camp in a clean place, and they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel. Here's why. For the water of purification. It is for purifying from sin. Oh, by the way, the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. So it shall be a statute forever to the children of Israel and to the stranger who dwells among them. You, you know how we've been loving that last phrase through this book, not just for the Israelites, but for anybody who wants in on this covenant with God. So notice here, he's very specific what this is for. The ashes of the heifer mixed with the water used for sprinkling. Why? To purify from sin. See, friends, our purity matters to God because we serve a pure God. And He knows that our purity, our, excuse me, our impurity can't come into His pure presence. So He's making a way for the people to be made pure, for the people to become clean. But here's where it gets confusing. Because everybody who helps prepare the ashes so that the ashes can be used to make you clean, everyone who helps ends up unclean because they touch the ashes. How does that make sense? How are the ashes going to make me clean if, if the ashes made you unclean? Okay, so this is the first purifying paradox that comes up. How can the cleanser be unclean? You see that? All right, so this is one of the places that the rabbis just say, mm, I don't know. <laughs> because 
I'm, I'm the one that scooped the ashes. Aren't the, didn't the ashes just purify him? So why am I unclean for touching the ashes that made him clean? I don't know. It's just what God said, okay? Right, so that's the paradox here. So in one sense, you can think of the ashes a little bit like, um, you know, if you're ever working in the garage or working on a car and you, you spill oil or gasoline, you can either use sawdust or they've got like that weird pink dust you can buy. You put that on the oil and it soaks it right up. Right, now the garage floor is clean. But via that process, the sawdust or that pink stuff is unclean now, right? Because it absorbed the mess. It absorbed the impurity. Right, that is the picture here for the ashes. They're absorbing the impurity out of the people. Now the cleanser has become unclean. So here's another way to think about it. My kids and I, we like to go to the, the nature center. And the first time that we went there, I'd, I'd never been there before and so it's me and the four kids and there's a lake and it was like right at the end kind of of the thaw. So the lake hadn't really filled back up yet from the spring, but the snow had melted into the ground. So at the edge of the, what would normally be the bank, we had about 20 feet of just straight mud before you actually got to the water. So naturally, I just stay a little further back and naturally my kids just go a lot further forward and Obed in particular who is something of a scientist he wants to do this experiment how far can I get into the mud before I can't get back out of the mud and that's I'm not exaggerating that's literally what he was trying to figure out so he goes in a little way and he comes out a little way and he goes in a little further he comes out a little further and I'm watching this I'm just watching this like good dad right and I'm noticing as he's coming back out, th those boots are pulling away just a little bit. And so finally he gets to the point where he can't lift his legs anymore. And when he tries, like his feet just come right out of the boot. <laughs> Dad! <laughs> you know, he's like, do I have to swim back through the mud? So now I'm laying out branches and things and I'm trying to spread my weight out so I can get to him without sinking in, right? So there's a spiritual truth for you. We can't get ourselves unstuck. <laughs> but here's the deal. Like, you know, he's falling on his knees and he's standing back up and... So eventually, I get out there, I pull him and the boots out of the mud, we get him home, I clean him off, but you see where this is going. By the time that, that he's clean, now I'm covered in mud, right? I mean, that's the picture here. It's why the rabbis actually say that this process profanes the pure. You see, it takes what was clean and makes it unclean. The whole process... It purifies the defiled person, but it defiles the purifier. The thing that was meant to make, to make clean has now become defiled. So now watch in verse 11 how they actually use this. Okay, so it's all been prepared. Then verse 11 says, He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. He shall purify himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day, then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third and on the seventh day, he will not be clean. Whoever touches the dead body of anyone who has died and does not purify himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. Okay, I mean, if you've been here for numbers. You know how heavy duty that is. They defile the tabernacle of the Lord. That person shall be cut off from Israel. Now, that is like worst case scenario for the people of God. Because not only are they cut off from the community but they're cut off from God himself, from the tabernacle, from the place of mercy and forgiveness. So you see that this, this purifying water with the ashes of the heifer in it, infused with the blood of purification, 
is directly connected to contact with death. So it says, he shall be unclean because the water of purification was not sprinkled on him. His uncleanness is still on him. He goes on in verse 14. This is the law when a man dies in a tent. All who come into the tent and all who are in the tent shall be unclean seven days. Oh, and it's not just them. Every open vessel which has no cover fastened on it is unclean. Oh, and in case I didn't think of this, whoever in the open field touches one who was slain by a sword or, or, or just who has died or a bone of a man or, or a grave shall be unclean seven days. So it's not now, it's not just if you touch someone or something that has died. It's if you even walk over a grave where you didn't realize it was a grave. It's if you're even in the same building with death. You see, when we read this, we don't have the same kind of ritualistic picture of death making us unclean that they did. But why is he making such a big deal out of this here? You see, the picture is that we have a death problem. You see, death is part of the curse of sin. It becomes a picture of everything that breaks when Adam and Eve first sinned and as we go on through the history of the world. And so God takes that picture of death and says, hey, like it's a part of life, but it's not just a part of life. It was never meant to be a part of life. This is something broken and we need purification. And so verse 17 tells us that for an unclean person... They shall take some of the ashes of the heifer burnt for purification from sin and running water shall be put on them in a vessel. A clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water, sprinkle it on the tent, on all the vessels, on the persons who were there, or on the one who touched a bone, the slain, the dead, or a grave. All right, we're trying to be very thorough. Can you think of any other examples where this might happen? Let's put them in the list. The clean person shall sprinkle the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day. And on the seventh day he shall purify himself, wash his clothes, and bathe in water, and at evening he shall be clean. Okay, so here's our second paradox, though. You're telling me that if I come in contact with something dead, if, if I even step over a grave because I didn't realize it was there, if I touch a bone of somebody or, or somebody left in a field or I just walk into a house and find out somebody just died there, now I'm unclean? Now I can't come in the tabernacle? What am I going to do? I came into contact with death. I had a near-death experience. Well, you know what you got to do? We killed this um, cow. It's dead. Let me sprinkle some cow on you. Some dead cow? Like, really, God? <laughs> so, so because I came into contact with death, you need to sprinkle me with something dead? That's the second purifying paradox. How can death be the solution to death? If death was the problem in the first place, how is death going to fix it? So maybe at this point you're thinking like, yeah, Drew, you were right. This is weird and I don't get it. And um, let's just skip on to Numbers 20 or something. Can we keep going? <laughs> right, this, this is where the rabbis sat for thousands of years. In fact, they even go so far as to say that this was the one thing. What you've just seen so far this morning is the one thing, supposedly, that Solomon did not understand. With all his wisdom, he said, except for that para aduma, I don't know. Really? So you're not alone if you think it's a little confusing or if you're trying to see where this is all going. But here's the deal. We've got the same problem they have. We have a death problem. Right? And we know that when we say that, we're talking about physical death. 
But we're also talking about spiritual death. That we have dead spots in us. And it's not just the physical death that's coming someday, but it's the death of our desires. The death in our minds. The thoughts, the actions that are impure, that are unclean, that that hurt us and hurt others around us. That fall short of God's standard. It's what the Bible calls sin. So you've got to understand, like, if, if you didn't know this, the Bible is not essentially a big book of rules for how to be a better person. It's not even a big book of advice for how good people can even be a little bit better. Like, there's a ton of advice, and there are a lot of good rules, and I guarantee you, like, do the advice that the Bible gives you, and life is much better. But I like how Chad's been explaining this in our, our exploring series we've been doing over the last month or so. Uh, called Easter eggs, just talking about how resurrection has been hidden all through the Bible. So the way that he explains it is that when you look at the main message of the Bible, the main message of the Bible is not that we are bad people who need to be better. The message is that we are dead people who need to be made alive. A few years ago, I was having lunch with a buddy of mine. He invited me out to lunch because he'd had some pretty big issues with anger and I was there for one of them and and whatever I said to him he's like well can we get lunch and so he took me out to lunch and as we're sitting there um, I know that part of it was because he knew that I've dealt with anger and that I had found some ways to be successful in that battle you know to have self-control all this kind of stuff so he takes me out to lunch we're sitting there we're talking he says well well what did you do different Drew you know what did you learn what what do you do when you feel like those emotions come up and it's not fair something triggers you or something somebody else does and so we talked for a while And I I gave him a lot of the specifics. Hey, here's some really practical things you can do in the moment. Here's some really practical things you can do ahead of time. Here's some ways to think about it differently. And to be honest with you, there's probably a pride issue that needs to be removed. Because you get awfully defensive in those moments. And so as we were talking, I could just kind of feel in my head and in my heart, like I'm doing that thing where I'm giving him a lot of good advice, but I'm not really being completely honest with him. Because for me... Even though there can still be moments when I struggle with it, the freedom that came from anger was not just a lot of good tips, a lot of good advice, and some new rules to follow. The freedom was because I took it to God and said, God, I I need your help. God, this is a dead spot in me. And so as we were sitting there talking, it was kind of like, he's like, yeah, that's good, that's good, I'll try that. (laughs) I was like, hey man, I I just got to kind of level with you here. That's all, it's all really practical and it's all really helpful but um, nothing personal. I think if that's all you do, you're going to fail hard. He's like, hey, thanks. I'm so glad I brought you out for lunch. <laughs> I told him, no, dude, but, but here's the thing. What made the difference for me was actually God. So I knew that he was not a Christ follower. He was kind of in the space of thinking that God is like out there somewhere. But man, he was desperate for help. So he was wide open to that. So I just started sharing with him what forgiveness is about weirdly like it doesn't always go this fast but we got into what the holy spirit is like that god actually gives you his power to overcome that kind of stuff that really what i needed was not more rules it was for god to take a dead spot and bring it back to life and so he started considering that and not just through me but through other friends and a football coach of his he ended up becoming a christ follower a couple years later and getting baptized and it's incredible to see how god brings life from death. 
See, that's the question that the rabbis have been trying to ask. Where is the one who can absorb my sin? Where is the one? Where are we going to find that red heifer? They thought they had one in 2018, and then it got disqualified. And then they thought they found a couple more, and now it looks like those aren't going to work out either. Guys, they haven't found one in over 2,000 years. They want to know, where is the one that can make us clean and pure so that we can come into the presence of God? Where is the one that will die so that I can be in God's presence again? You see, as Christ followers, we tweak those questions just a little bit because I want to know who is the one that can absorb my sin without becoming sinful? Who is the one that can touch my uncleanness without becoming unclean? I want to know who is the one who can die and not decay but instead save me from death. Okay, so check this out in Hebrews chapter 9. I know we did Hebrews last year, and when we did this, like, totally missed it. What I'm about to read you, I put in the bucket of like, oh yeah, all those sacrifices and stuff. Okay, This is why you'll hear us say around here, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. You read something confusing, you think you don't know what it means, and no wonder the rabbis are struggling. See if the Bible talks about it anywhere else. Check this out. Hebrews 9, 13 and 14. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean. Guys, that is Numbers 19, and it is only Numbers 19. It hasn't come up in the rest of the Bible until now. If the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, no blemish, to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And just like that, Thousands of years of mystery, thousands of years of paradox solved in Jesus Christ. I love that picture. You see the entire Trinity is present there? That the Son, through the Spirit, offered himself to God. That this sacrifice is how Jesus fulfills the red heifer. To use Hebrew's language, you might say he is the better red heifer. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, have you, ever heard, have you ever heard anybody talk about Jesus as their red heifer? The red heifer of God? We get lamb of God, right? That makes a lot more sense, and that sounds like a lot prettier, right? Like, especially at Easter and Passover, we talk about the lamb that was slain. Hey, how about Jesus, my Savior, my King, my red heifer? <laughs> but there it is. And this is why it matters. Because that's why 2 Corinthians 5 can say that he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. He is the only one, because he is God in the flesh, who can stand in the place of human beings, absorb the sin of every one of us, all of the things that you know you've done wrong, all of the things that you know are impure, that you know are out of line, and all the things you forgot, like you couldn't think of them now even if you tried, 
or the things you didn't even realize that was one of those things when it happened? All of it. He can absorb all of it. And yet, he never became sinful himself. He was never a sinner himself. It's why 1 Corinthians 15 says that he died, was buried, and rose again to conquer death. That's why death has lost its sting. That's why death has no victory. In Christ, we have the victory. We have life. Death has become the solution to death because the only one who is life conquered death. He's the only one that could go through it. You go through every human being that has ever lived on this planet, every human being that's alive now, every human being that ever will live, none of us, and don't even fight me on this, none of us can die and bring ourselves back to life. Don't try. Just trust me. It's never happened. It never will, except the man who was God. God alone did the impossible, brought himself back when he defeated death. See, Jesus fulfills the paradox. Jesus answers the questions. Today, the Temple Institute is waiting. They think that the Messiah is going to bring the 10th red heifer. I think what Hebrews is telling us is that we don't need the 10th red heifer. I guess in a way, Jesus is the 10th red heifer. He is the better sacrifice. And that's why we're celebrating his sacrifice this week. In fact, I know that you know we'll be back next week for Easter. If you haven't got your tickets, you can do that online. They're complimentary. I've seen the run for the worship service. It's going to be awesome. You want to be here. But we're also celebrating Good Friday this week. And in case you didn't know, we actually have an online-only Good Friday experience prepared for you. Because we want to celebrate, as crazy as that sounds, the death that conquered death. We want to celebrate the one, Jesus Christ alone, who can touch my uncleanness, and instead of making him unclean, it makes me clean. And so that online service is going to be a time of worship, just singing to him, a time of some guided prayer, some interesting connections to numbers itself as we remember his death. His death that paid it all for us. In fact, I'd encourage you, if, if you're here in the building today, as you leave, we have those communion elements, the, the juice and the, the cracker, the wafer. So you can take that with you and use that this Friday when you enjoy that service. And if you're watching from home or somewhere else today, um, I'd encourage you to just grab some crackers or some juice this week or stop by the building. We'd be happy to give you some of those elements so that we can celebrate his death together on Friday and come back and celebrate his resurrection on Easter Sunday. Because when you come back to Numbers chapter 20, uh, chapter 19, verse 20, just a couple of verses left, it says, But the man who is unclean and does not purify himself, that person shall be cut off from among the assembly, because he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water of purification has not been sprinkled on him. He is unclean. It shall be a perpetual statute for them. He who sprinkles the water of purification shall wash his clothes. He who touches the water of purification shall be unclean until evening. Whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean, and the person who touches it shall be unclean until evening. It's a reminder of just a couple things. No one can purify themselves. 
They need someone else to sprinkle the water for them. But what's kind of amazing about this is the person who sprinkles the water, now that they've done that, they're unclean. Which means even the priest who has come to help you, he can only help one person. Now he's unclean, he can't help the next person in line. He has to go and wash. And so there's also a picture here that we are still waiting for the one who can touch uncleanness without becoming unclean. That's Jesus. That's how he fills these strange, strange passages that we find in the book of Numbers and in the Old Testament. You realize now, just like the Passover, God was setting this up thousands of years earlier so that his people would understand. Not so that they would say, I guess we'll never know, but so that they would look at this, read Hebrews, and Hebrews is telling you it was Jesus the whole time. And so what's unusual about this sacrifice, remember, it's that the blood is burned with the whole animal, the red heifer, but also that it was done outside the camp. In fact, they think historically that this was most often done on the Mount of Olives. Because from the Mount of Olives, you can see the Temple Mount. You can see the temple from there. So he could sprinkle the blood toward the temple when they did the sacrifice. But you see how from the Mount of Olives, you're clearly outside the camp. I mean, that's Jerusalem in the background. You had to leave to be able to do this. So that then you could go into the tabernacle. And that's the third, the third purifying paradox. To come in to God's presence, you first have to go out. Watch how Hebrews picks this up in Hebrews chapter 13. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. What this means is that God wants so badly for you to be in his presence, he was willing to come out, to make a place out where we are, that through Jesus Christ we could be purified and come into his presence with confidence through grace and mercy and peace and love forever. Because, you know, Hebrews actually says, back in chapter 9, same, same part of the verses about that heifer, that if you're a Christ follower here today, I want you to hear this very clearly. He has made perfect forever. If you have come to Christ outside the camp and said, I realize that I can't save myself. I can't follow the rules good enough. I need a forgiver. I need a savior. I need a sacrifice. And Jesus, I believe that that's you then you have been made perfect forever. When God looks at you, he sees the purity of Jesus Christ himself. It also says that he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That now part of our growth, our walk with Jesus, our day-to-day -day lives, is that when we find dead spots, we can bring them to Jesus. When you find dead spots, that's my encouragement for you today. Go to Jesus. And you know what? Maybe that's for the first time. Right? Maybe you're feeling like, I've been doing the rituals, I've done all the things, maybe I didn't do a red heifer, but I come to Horizon every week, and have I ever really sat down and said, I need that forgiveness. I've been doing that church thing, but I don't know that I've ever started a relationship with God myself. Then this is it. This is your red heifer moment, okay? <laughs> that the first time you come to him and say, I need you to bring life to me.
We go out to Jesus for that. But I know a lot of you here, you are Christ followers. You're living this life and you want to know, what do I do when I find those dead spots? Because we've seen some of them in numbers. Dead spots of the mind, like the complaining. Dead spots of the soul, like pride. And we're going to see dead spots of the flesh, not just the physical death, but the sexual temptation. The things that plague us today, guys, like we wish we left them in the book of Numbers, but they are all over our culture and they are coming after you every day. He can give you strength to overcome those. But when you find that dead spot, don't let it keep you away from God, right? Don't be the one who says, I don't need purification. Don't be the one who says, well, what if he won't purify me? He wrote Numbers 19 and he fulfilled it in Jesus so that you know in Christ you are pure. And when you find dead spots, that's just part of growing. Bring it to Christ and let him make you clean. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I got to say thank you so much for your faithfulness and your obedience. Thank you for even what we just remembered this week, that through the eternal spirit, you offered yourself to God. A sacrifice for us to purify us from all unrighteousness. Jesus, we glorify you as our king. We glorify you as our savior. Sounds a little funny, but we glorify you as the better red heifer, as the Messiah who shed his blood for us. Thank you, Jesus. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for being here today. Um, If you brought the yellow bags back, we're we're still bringing those back. You can bring them back next week. You can even take one today. That's to help families in Ukraine. Please check out the Easter service and check out the Good Friday service online, and we'll see you next week.